Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Today is July 21st, 2016. We are in the midst of the race for governor of Tokyo, and a lot is going on. I'd like to address this issue with you, Michael. But first, did you know that Kentucky Fried Chicken is being attacked in China as we speak? Is that why you're dressed the way you're dressed? Yes, I am indeed. Um, explain to me why. Well, uh, apparently they have mobs attacking Kentucky Fried Chicken and saying, get out of here, we don't want you. And they're attacking uh, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's as well. Does this have anything to do with the South China Sea? I don't think so, but it could, you never know. But the thing is, is that China was just a magnet for foreign investment. Bring in your technology, bring in your factories, come in and set up here, and now they're practicing a little bit of a foreign diplomacy. Well, they've always been practicing diplomacy, particularly with the Japanese. Mm -hmm. There has always been this strange necessary relationship and yet also extremely antagonistic one. Uh, Japanese government loans and Japanese industry really got China's industrial revolution, if you want to call it, from 1979 on going. It was not the United States opening, but the Japanese opening, which provided them with the infrastructure and the capital. Right. Uh, and as we know, that of course has bought Japan a tremendous amount of goodwill in China. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is not something that's entirely new, no. Yes, well, I think we're, we're watching this relationship evolve, and uh, it looks like you know, China is, is really starting to feel its, uh, its muscle. No, it's putting its muscle, but also one has to think about the historical parallels that actually exist between what happened in the 19th century with Japan and the United States and what's mm -hmm. going on between China and the United States now. In the, in the 19th century, Japan felt the pressure of the United States, and indeed, when the black ships arrived, uh, they were American ships, and they were there with their guns bristling, and they sailed into as, Edo Bay. As a catalyst. And, and there right. was the catalyst for the Meiji uh, Restoration, and then the rapid industrial and military buildup of Japan in order to defend itself initially, but then impose its will on, mm -hmm. on the rest of Asia. Because colonization sure looked like it was working. And we are probably seeing something that's very similar mm -hmm. in terms of the relationship between China and the United States, where the breaking point was somewhere in the 1990s when the Chinese decided we really have to get into becoming a military naval, modern military mm -hmm. naval power. And certainly the way that uh, the United States had its way with Iraq in the Gulf War woke up a lot of folks on mm -hmm. this side of the globe saying, wow, that Soviet army got wiped. Right. We have to do something different. Mm -hmm. And certainly uh, they have made their efforts and the South China Sea expansion is one of them. Uh, but uh, I'm still don't see why you have to dress the way you're dressed. <laughs> well, it's hot out here. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. The Tokyo governor's race is in high heat right now. Another 10 days left. The election will be on the 31st of this month. Michael, a lot is going up. Boonshun had a report today on one of the front contenders. I, I don't know if it's a report, and certainly uh, the uh, contender in this case, uh, Torigo Shuntaro, has already lawyered up and has already sent off a threat to Boonshun saying that they're going to file a police complaint against them for libel. So it is getting kind of hot under the collar here. So we liked last time 
uh, Koike Yuriko, and she still is pretty much the front runner. Right. But uh, the Torigoi phenomenon was building until this Bunshun incident. Right. I mean, he really does look like a candidate, and there are issues with in terms of his age, his personal health, and the fact that he was chosen at the very last moment to represent the four-party alliance, which we've been talking about a lot in terms of the House of Councillors mm-hmm. election. That has switched over to the Tokyo governor's race. And indeed, this is almost an extension of the House of Councillors fight because they're talking right. about the Tokyo governor having a stance on security legislation right. or on any of these national issues that really don't have much to do with what's really at stake in terms of the governor. Candidacy cut off last Monday. There are about 20 people who are throwing their hats in the ring. Really, only people are talking about three or four people. Well, there are some really entertaining marginal candidates. In fact, a, a, a few of the of Japan's remaining ultra-rightists have spent the money in order to basically promote themselves mm-hmm. during this intense period of time. Uh, there's one there's one campaign poster which has one guy decked out fully in Japan imperial military uniform with a sword and everything he's like what is this it about gets my vote oh yeah <laughs> he's going he's going to at least score in the three digits <laughs> uh, this is uh, but uh, yes we're talking about basically about three individuals mm-hmm. and that what's interesting about them is that they split the ruling coalition between them we have Torigoe Shuntaro, who is running as the candidate of the four-party alliance, the DP, the Democratic Party, the Livelihood Party, the Socialists, and then the Communists. And normally the Socialists and Communists don't work together, but they've worked together in the the House of Councillors election. And they have to pretend like they're working together now. They have to pretend like they're working together now, and that's great. It's easy for them because they just got out of an election where they did. However, the LDP is in shambles because they have one of their star players. If we follow through with him and he loses, then what are we going to do with Koike? That's right. The Koike-san was one of their telegenic, easy-to-look-at star players that they taught would bring out and, and have for the cameras, and she's running as an independent. And instead, they have the, the, the mild-mannered and, and very studious Masada who is half an academic, half a government bureaucrat, and half just a mm-hmm. milk toast, running against her, uh, making very fine statements, but w- right now, he's way behind. Mm-hmm. And there are members of the LDP who are siding with Koike, even though they've been ordered they've not been to ordered do They've been ordered not to. You will be reprimanded if you do. Reprima- and reprimand in, in means frozen out mm-hmm. in LDP language. And that's really dangerous and really something because a lot of these people are really marginal. The right. LDP is not the LDP of the past. Right. It's not a collection place for people with a great deal of ambition and a great deal of talent. Those folks have hived off during the last few decades to create what was now the opposition parties like the DP. Uh, the core that's left is not really the top, top of the drawer. If mm-hmm. you, I mean, you, they're not top-notch people necessarily. So they really need the reputation of the LDP behind them. Right. But there but, are folks who are just going off on their own. But even the prime minister didn't show up to promote his candidate. Well, the prime minister right now is taking a well-earned golf vacation. 
and you can read about it every day. Mm-hmm. And you say, "Wow, he took another. He did another day of golf. He 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 did do the national security angle bit of when there was this launch of North Korean missiles. He stopped his golf game, and then he resumed it." It's been really actually interesting in terms of his his, his time off. Uh, he's actually not golfing with his political and, and economic allies. He's actually golfing with longtime friends. Mm-hmm. So he's really off the stage, okay, which, which, which is kind of weird because Tokyo matters. Tokyo really does matter. And it's not just the prime minister. I mean, other members of his cabinet have not really been honing in and, um, you know, we, we stand behind this candidate. Well, it's, of course, they're exhausted from the House of Counselors campaign. They're hedging their bets. They're... I would, I would, I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I'd really like to because the House of Counselors, it's at a brutal time of the year. We either have absolutely torrential rainstorms right. from the rainy season or absolutely ferocious hot days. Mm-hmm. And both the Prime Minister and, and uh, the head of the DP, they're chestnut brown right now because of the, the times that they spent out campaigning. Uh, it's it's really physically quite demanding. Mm-hmm. So well, I, 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 I would like to forgive. Okay, people. you can see how brutal this campaign is. Even now, the front contender, Koike Yuriko, her voice is really, you can see it's beginning to start to, to, to crack at, at times. And also Torigoe, um, he's not out in the bushes all the time. I mean, he probably has two or three um, campaign stumps a day. And uh, uh, compared to Koike, that's... Uh, that's huge. Well, the thing is, is that Torigoya now has this problem of these exposés that are being printed. They just came out today. In not only Shukan Bunshun, which is this, this story about him having invited a 20-year-old young woman to his villa. That's scandalous. Yeah, yeah. 20 years old is not only the age of consent, it's actually you're a legal adult. So what? But she's never been kissed, Michael. That's according to Bunshun. Is that unbelievable that they would actually print something like that? I it's, mean, this is a creation of a, a meme, of a whole story. I mean, yeah, but the, the, that they actually describe it as a 20-year-old college student who's never been kissed. What did, what did she do in high school? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, just... Uh, and and he's, already, he's already filed. 73 years old? I don't know what this is. You know, but... You, you, Look, the, the, the person who is going to be the next governor, it's not an administrative post, although it looks like an administrative post. It's a PR post. And somebody that's 73 years old is not, I don't think, has you know a lot of the energy to, number one, run through a campaign, but also hold that post for a long period of time. Okay, that are, there is that aspect to it, especially the, uh, in, in light of the fact that his challenger, or his main challenger, Koike-san, is almost a decade younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is that aspect to it. But nevertheless, this is a land where people live a long time, and he'll certainly be taken care of in, in terms of, of his health. He did have to take time off from the campaign, though, when suddenly he was non compos mentes. He was somehow he, he, he collapsed during it. So, what's our policy? Uh, it's, 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 it, it, we, we do have to worry about the health aspects. Mm-hmm. But then again, how long is he going to last is mm-hmm. the question. Right. I mean, this is a post. I mean, there should be a, you know, a, a blurb. Friends don't let friends right. run for Tokyo governor. Right. Because this is a post that has swallowed reformers 
to it twice in a row now. Did you see what uh, the DP uh, General Secretary described uh, the policy formation of, of the coalition in support of him? I haven't glass. seen it. Oh, yes. A glass. It's, it's like blowing glass. It's like creating a, a, a glass. A delicate glass yes. sculpture. Yes. That gives me confidence. Uh, it gives me a great deal of confidence in the durability of the whole thing. Right. Yeah. But the thing is, is that you're right. The position is, is very much PR. And the reason why some of the LDP members are, in fact, defecting mm -hmm. uh, is that they see, okay, we can either pick the bureaucrat old man or the woman to be governor of the world's most wealthy city and the next host for the Olympic Games. Which way should we go yes. with this? And they are gravitating toward Koike-san. Uh, that's their decision, and their, their their party will punish them. No question about it. Doesn't there come a point though when the LDP might just say, "Look, the, the die is cast. We're going to switch horses, so that when she is governor, at least we have a a little bit more of a friendly relationship." We don't know. We know that the, the LDP hung on to Inose, hung on to Masazoe for as long as they felt that they were useful. Mm -hmm. uh, but when they no longer felt they were useful. They dumped them, right. and the, the the dumping was over again. Actions that were not illegal, mm -hmm. and for which neither of the the two gentlemen has ever faced any charges. This is just simply things that just looked funny. Well, it's politics, and it seems to me that the fractures in the Abe administration are beginning to show. And you know how this rolls out, how the LDP decides to to parcel its its affection. We've got. Other troubles that are coming up with mem within members of the cabinet who are saying, for example, you know, Abinomics does not work publicly. So th th there could be some real fractious uh, events coming up. So the, uh, in a sense, the uh, th the theory driving this pick by the the DP and its three allies that this is really just a continuation mm -hmm. of the national conversation set up by the House of Councillors might be in fact true, and right. indeed. This does have implications for the national political electorate. You know, when people vote for governor of Tokyo, there are certain blocks, certain block, block votes that vote en masse. Do you know, can, can you share any insight into how those block votes are distributed? They're pretty tight. They vote in block, and then there are a lot of unaffiliated voters, probably 40% or more, right? Well, that's the thing, that we know that generally the LDP voters are small business, at least in Tokyo, and big business, white collar. And then we have, of course, the Kometo, a large group of Sokogakkai members living in Tokyo. Sokogakkai is, in fact, incorporated inside Tokyo. And so- Not far from here. Not, well, they have, they, have, they have their registration here, mm -hmm. which is why they are so intent whenever there's a Tokyo assembly election that there be no other elections around that time. So those votes are solid, supposedly. But then we have in Tokyo, of course, the professional classes. We have, of course, all kinds of people who are either in labor unions or not in labor unions, in small workshops, whatever, who are basically available. And that's what Koike is going after. That's and, what everybody's going after. Uh, well, Masada doesn't have a chance with those folks mm -hmm. because, because he's never going to be able to offer them anything more than what already exists. And in fact, people have been saying, you know, Masada has been one of the persons who has been arguing strong, most strongly. Take uh, it out of Tokyo. Exactly. To move 
business to move government、mm-hmm. out of Tokyo and move it into the hinterlands,、right. uh, into the non Tokyo prefectures. Not、that、part he, of the job.、Uh, that he is going to be in charge of Tokyo. Some people say that's not the guy we need.、Yeah. That's not the guy we want. We want someone who wants to either in- enlarge Tokyo's footprint or at、mm-hmm. least manage what's there. But the idea that he's going to be tossing stuff out—that's not really helpful at、right. election time. Right. Another ten days left in this election campaign. Please stay tuned. We're going to keep an eye on it and report to you next week. Welcome back. The relationship between North Korea and Japan is practically non-existent. There are a lot of things that are happening in North Korea that influence and affect Japan. And in the last week, on the shores of Yamaguchi, a defector washed up on the shores. Michael. Yeah, it's kind of a strange, weird way that they he did. He was supposedly clutching basically a float,、mm-hmm. and he was found floating. Off the shore of Yamaguchi Prefecture, which is all the way to the west, and is in fact the home prefecture of the prime minister,、uh, though he represents the other side of that prefecture.、Mm-hmm. This is a, 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 a not a story that generally happens. It's because it's it's actually quite hard for North Korean defectors to come across the Sea of Japan, which the Koreans call the East Sea.、Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, That route is actually not the one that's normally taken. Normally, they cross the land border to、mm-hmm. the north. So this is actually quite a rare occurrence. But we have had things washing up on the shores of the Sea of Japan, mostly boats full of skeletons. We talked about that a couple of episodes ago. That's right, and that that was creeping people out. This time we have a live person, and it's it's a young person who claims he was on a ship and jumped off it with this float and. It's a little bit of a bizarre story, and people are checking it out. Right. Apparently, it wasn't a ship. I initially thought that it was a ship too, because as a as a stowaway, or maybe even as a deckhand, you could you know pick something up and and jump off the ship.、Mm-hmm. Uh, very dangerous to do. Most people who do that actually drown. But、uh, according to his story, he was on a wooden skiff,、oh, like、so. one of the ones that we found、um, on the shores earlier. Yeah, it's it's possible. The, but the thing is, there's a real. You know, disconnect between the way that North Korea is dealing with the world、mm-hmm. and Japan in particular, and these defectors that arrive, or these these skeleton ships. Because at the same time, this this week we had the firing of the missiles again into the Sea of Japan. These tests. What was it? Three of them. Three missiles、mm-hmm. of, of various sizes and various distances.、Uh, again, North Korea is in violation of UN. Rules and so there will be, it'll be brought to the Security Council in terms of new sanctions. It's it's a never-ending story.、Mm-hmm. So we have you know missiles, you know examples of high technology, and then these individuals who come with the shirts on their backs and、right. uh, gr- clutching a, a small floating device to come here. It, it's a real contrast, and we it's hard to understand what the, the whole purpose of it is. His crime. Are you familiar with his crime? I'm not familiar with his crime. Tell he、me. was caught watching a video that was filmed in South Korea. Ah, that, one of these dramas. Ah, yes. That that of course is a big problem、mm-hmm. in, in North Korea because, gosh, their their own homegrown dramas just don't bring in the folks. No, you've、reason. seen the satellite images of of North Korea and South Korea at night, where the the lights are. Are really vibrant in the south and in the north. It's they're saving energy. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> they're 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 the planet's finest at saving energy. Yeah, the, the thing is, we have a long history here in Japan of these interactions between the north and the, and and Japan. Even though there are no diplomatic relations and no 
real connections. A few, it's hard, it's probably not known, there are a few North Korean ships that are still landing in Japanese ports officially uh, under the North Korean flag. Uh, these are uh, cargo ships that mm -hmm. actually are allowed to do still uh, legal trade, uh, but they are very few. Uh, the main connection point between the two countries was the Mam Yongbyong uh, ferry in Niigata, and that hasn't run for over a decade. What about the building that houses the North Korean contingency here in the neighborhood? Well, that's still... The, that's closed down, it's right? It's closed down, and, and Chongdong is still trying to get access to that building, even though it's been auctioned off, and, and actually it's auctioned off three times, twice unsuccessfully, mm -hmm. to non-existent companies. Right. Who would have ever thought anything having to do with North Korea would involve fraud? Um, the representative director and his son were... Uh, caught uh, importing mushrooms, apparently. Or this, All sorts of things. The, the Chongnyong is, is a wonderful organization that we don't really need to talk about very much, I hope. But <laughs> nevertheless, it's still fighting for that. And we have, of course, the ongoing story here inside Japan of the North Korean school system, mm -hmm. which is another thing that many people feel find it hard to believe, but that there is an entire school system here of... Korean students who use North Korean textbooks, who have the pictures of Kim, our dear leader, our dear, dear the, the dear leader and the, the dearly departed leaders right. on the wall, and they sing the North Korean national anthem, and they, they have the North Korean flag flying, that this system teaches students in Korean and exists. Who said Japan wasn't an open society? It is an extremely open society that allows an enemy nation's school system to exist within its own. Mm -hmm. Now, that is another aspect to this whole story. But in terms of this defector landing, it brings to mind the fact that the, the Sea of Japan coast was the source of many of the kidnapped right. Japanese that led to basically the political rise of our current prime minister. Right. They the disappearance of these individuals and the Japanese government's insistence that these folks simply had either drowned or were suicides or simply ran away and got new identities, that there was an actual state-sponsored kidnapping of Japanese citizens was entirely denied by the Japanese mm -hmm. government for decades. And the parents and the, and the children of these people were fighting the Japanese government, and it was members of the LDP and other right-wing parties that glommed onto these people claiming that their relatives had been kidnapped. Mm -hmm. And one of them is the current prime minister. That, it's had real legs in terms of Japan's political system. That's such an astounding story on both sides of it. I mean, not only that the Koreans, the North Koreans, had a, a, a policy of having submarines approach the territorial waters, people in rubber dinghies getting out, coming over, conking people on the head, putting them in sacks, actually putting them in sacks, taking them back out. I mean, that is just amazing in itself. This has been going on for a long time, but the other amazing part is that the foreign ministry was denying that was going on and until actually their feet were inside the fire. That's right. They, they, the government, particularly MOFA, uh, completely blew it in terms of the 1980s and 1990s, denying, denying, denying that these kidnappees existed. Well, wouldn't Dr. Snow love to get a piece of that? Oh, I'm sure she would. You know, but, in terms of diplomacy and, and public policy and, and, you know, weaving that message. I mean, just the Japanese 
uh, foreign ministry just looks horrible. Well, it's not. It's the entire Japanese political elite. The uh, the kidnapped parents actually received by in one case uh, a postcard via Poland of all places from one of their children, and and the Japanese government wouldn't accept it, so they passed it on to the Socialist Party, which had direct connections with the DPRK. The socialists told the DPRK, hey, we received this postcard via Poland from one of the persons who's supposedly in your country, but we know that person isn't there. Uh, that family, it was a, 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 a young woman, and her, her husband, and then their child, soon died uh, under mysterious circumstances, mm. we mm-hmm. now know. Uh, so the socialists, who recently went into near oblivion in the elections, uh, they have blood on their hands, according to these families. And uh, so the entire political elite of Japan blew this issue. And one of the, the after effects is that we have these militant defenders of the families now in very high positions in the government because that turned out to be absolutely true. Right. So all told, what is the calculated number of people who have disappeared under mysterious circumstances possibly being kidnapped by the North Koreans? Oh, it depends on who you ask. If you ask the Japanese government before the Abe administration came into power the second time, it's around 17 individuals. And that was the list that they went to with Prime Minister Koizumi to Pyongyang when he made his trip there for the first time and then for the second time to pick actual persons up that had been Mm -hmm. kidnapped. Now they have this really amorphous list of about 200 individuals. I, I would imagine it's got to be somewhere around no, 100. That, I mean, it's been the, going on for 20 years. Yeah, it's been going on. But the thing is, that they, it's, it stopped, and these other disappearances are only tenuously possibly connected. Mm-hmm. The North Korean side, through back channel, says none of these people, we don't know anything about them. It, it, it's, uh, and it's a great game, actually. In how many of persons were actually kidnapped. And let's face it, for the persons who have been the advocates of these abducted fam- abductee families, uh, of the abducted persons, the more the merrier. Yeah. And they're never going to give up on even the most marginal case. But what an uphill battle that must be. Not only is your loved one gone and you don't know where they are, but you suspect where they are, but your government is not really you know, endorsing your position or following up. That was the case then. The government is fully bought into it now. It it promotes movies about the missing. It has posters about them. It is It has days which it has special celebrations or, or commemorations. They're very much involved. It forces NHK, the national broadcaster, to talk about this issue more. Mm-hmm. That is a, a transformation that took place and it's actually so natural to us, we, we hardly even remember. There was a time, in fact, when all of this was denied. Just to wrap this, this episode up, there has been suggestions that North Korea is now preparing for its fifth nuclear test. And if, if they do, it's part of the way that, nu- that North Korea talks to the world. Mm-hmm. We forget the Chinese in the 1960s did exactly the same thing, also in the 1950s. They would shell the, the islands of Kwimoi and Matsu. That was not to really threaten world peace, that was to get the United States' attention. Mm-hmm. And for some regimes, setting off nuclear weapons is the way they say, hello. Mm-hmm. Well, you have my attention. By the way, happy birthday, Michael. Oh, thank you. Please stay tuned. We're going to continue to watch developments in North Korea and on Michael's birthday list.
Welcome back. Last week, after we finished filming our episode of Tokyo on Fire, somebody in the imperial household announced that the emperor would like to abdicate his position as emperor of Japan. This is huge news. It's had a huge rippling effect. Michael, what's your take on that? My take is that the emperor is an old man, and he's worked very, very hard to reestablish the imperial house as something that the Japanese people are focused on and can respect and do respect tremendously. Before we go into it too much, Michael, we have to point out that this subject is basically taboo in Japanese society, right? But, I mean, people don't talk about this sort of thing. They don't, it's not a, a general conversation. People who are writing stories about it have to be very careful about what they say. There's always that, and I, I, I fail to see how after 70 years, the issue of whether Emperor Hiroshito was involved in the expansion of Japan or not, some has that every mention of the imperial family has to focus back on that. I don't think that's the issue at all. But I think it is, because whenever you start talking about something like abdication, they start talking about, well, you know, Hiroshito after World War II, and you say, what does that have to do with anything? And yet, Japanese commentators immediately switch into that mode. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, it's almost like there's an automatic button that goes on. The moment the imperial family is mentioned, they start talking about war responsibility. I don't know. I think that's a, a fly in the ointment. I think the real issue here is his godhead. You know, I mean, the respect and the admiration that the entire nation has for this individual, for this institution, I think is, is somewhat sacrosanct. And so the people are really reluctant to really say one thing or the other, waiting for the, you know, the word to come down from heaven. Well, that's, that's assuming that people believe in his deity. Now, there are persons, even elected officials, who argue that he is indeed divine. Uh, the majority of Japanese people do not believe it. The present emperor's father, in fact, renounced his divinity as one of it's part of his deal right to get out of being charged as a war criminal that he was no longer a god thank you that's no and this current emperor is absolutely adamant about his commoner status so much so that he in fact has renounced the imperial right to a tomb Mm -hmm. and instead is going to be cremated just like everybody else how about that that's that, big. I, that it, and he, the that right to be entombed is extremely controlled in, Jap in, in Japanese law. The only persons who are allowed to be entombed are the imperial family and members of the Islamic faith. Mm -hmm. Everybody else, by law, is cremated. The, but the emperor says, hey, I'm just one Japanese among many. My wife and I, when we pass on, we're not going to have ornate tombs like they have in Hachioji here in, in, right. for... Uh, the, the, the previous, the Hiroshito and for the Taisho Emperor. We're not going to do that. We're just going to have a small grave and we're, we're both going to be cremated. And that's just, just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. He is the people's emperor, much more so than his father was. He is absolutely loved yeah. for his very, very common touch. And indeed, when the great disaster happened of 311, it was not the prime minister or any member of the diet that made the national message, that, that delivered the national message, we're going to be okay. It was the emperor for the first time 
came live on television, had never had a live broadcast ever, after the initial rescue and recovery efforts had gotten underway, he went on and said, we're going to get through this. People of Japan, we have suffered a great thing. The imperial family is for its common touch respected. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the divinity side mm. at all. Let's talk about the, the real issues of abdication, the, the critical logistic issues of abdication, what that involves, what responsibilities he has as emperor, the laws that need to be changed, the fact that you have to actually change the calendar. Oh yeah, well the thing is about the changing the calendar, when an emperor dies, that also changes the calendar. Big whoop de hoo mm-hmm. uh, you know, we still are going to have the alternative Western calendar. It's where it's 2016 next to it. So it doesn't matter what the what the rain name is. They're already done with that. The, there's there yes, there are laws that have to be changed. The imperial house law will have to be changed to allow abdication. But it's not as though abdication didn't exist in Japanese history. It does. And in fact, during a a significant part of the medieval period, there would be multiple retired emperors piled up on top of each other. (laughs) uh, And then the emperor would be like a four or five or six-year-old child. Mm -hmm. And then this whole stream of other folks who had just been in in office for 10 years. I don't want to do it. You do it. Passing (laughs) it on. Uh, This is not something that is new in Japanese history. Mm -hmm. But... Those who are really intent on elevating the imperial family to some kind of exalted status beyond that of simply a ruler on earth, yeah, for them it's tough. But Mm -hmm. otherwise, it's a matter of getting people in the diet to agree to allow the emperor to abdicate. And, you know, there are much more difficult things politically than to do them that. But logistically, assuming that the emperor abdicates, his son would become the emperor then. Yeah, there is a there is an issue in terms of succession because until now, the terminology that's in the law has a name for the heir to the throne, which indicates that the person is the son. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the heir to the throne would not become the son because there is no son. The current crown prince does not have a son. He has a single daughter, Aiko-sama. The the heir to the throne is his brother, Akishino. And so a new term would have to be worked out to be included in the law because he could not be called Kotaishi, Mm -hmm. which is the son of of the current emperor. Uh, He isn't. So there are technical details. You're right. Mm -hmm. Well, this is just fascinating. The longest imperial line in human history is going through some significant changes. Please stay tuned. Welcome back. The Diet is currently out of session as we're going through the race for a Tokyo governor. That election will take place on the 31st of July, and then politics heats up once again. Michael, what's in store for us? Well, we have an, an extra session, a short few days session, which is always traditional after there has been a major national election, in order for there to be a reestablishment of the cabinet. And we're waiting for the election of governor to finish, and then we're gonna launch into that. Well, we gotta, you have to think that the prime minister who's off golfing in the mountains of Yamanashi right now as we speak, uh, unless it's raining, uh, the, uh, he's really thinking very seriously about what he's gonna do regarding the cabinet. And there's a lot of discussion going on right now. Mm-hmm. Today is the 21st. It looks like they're going to announce the cabinet reshuffle on August 3rd, not very far away. It's gonna be a, a short period of time but then again, they've had all these years to think about what, who's going to be the next generation 
of mm-hmm. the cabinet. And there have all kinds of moves that are going on between the factions as to who's going to get represented. Last time, the Kishida faction got shut out in terms of cabinet posts with only Foreign Minister Kishida uh, staying on. They're going to need to be served. There are all kinds of various machinations that are going on. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen, especially regarding the really crucial posts of finance minister and chief cabinet secretary, and then even there's probably going to have to be huge changes in the party secretariat. He was involved in a bicycle accident just a couple of days ago. That's right. The secretary general, Tanigaki Sadakazu. Pretty serious. Uh, it seems to have been very serious. He had back surgery yesterday. They say it's successful, but it's back surgery. One never knows about these kind of things. He's an avid bicyclist. He's, in fact, I believe, the chairman of the National Bicycling so- Cycling Association. Uh, and he's had an accident before, and it, it caused political distress then. But this time, he's the secretary general of the LDP, and he's out. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is completely out. So he is going to have to be replaced, is, or at least everybody thinks so, that there's not going to be any sufficient recovery for him to take on his duties anytime soon. And the party cannot be leaderless. The, right. the, the, the leader officially of the party is the, prime, is the president. But his real job is being prime minister. Mm-hmm. Running the party is in the hands of the secretary general, and that, that seat's empty. Right. And the LDP has to go through, I mean, if there's going to be a cabinet reshuffle, there's across the board, a lot of seats are opened up and need to be changed. And internally to the LDP, that means there's a lot of human resources reshuffling, isn't there? Well, every time you slide somebody in and out of the cabinet, and that person is either inside a faction or not inside a faction, that has a a domino effect all through the party organization. So that Chairmanships of various divisions, whether it's the the health division, whether it's the finance division, all these things, they can get knocked around and people get knocked in and knocked out of those various committee chairmanships. All these things come into play so that it's very much a clockwork mm-hmm. kind of mechanism at the top. And you, it's worked really well for Abe Shinzo. He has had an incredibly stable administration mm-hmm. as compared to LDP's in the past. The, 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 this is not the LDP we, you and I right. experienced, particularly myself. I, I'm from the 90s, but you're, you're from actually before then. The competition in, in the LDP used to be ferocious. Right. But here he's got a basically a very balanced system where everyone has been working together very well. Well, with Tanigaki out, that's really going to throw a wrench in the works. It's going to be a very big wrench in the works because Tanigaki provides the image, or has provided the image, of the moderate side of the LDP being in charge of the party apparatus. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the Secretary General is not only in charge of elections, officially, the Secretary General is also in charge of appointing people. Sure, the, the President has a say, and, and certainly the Chief Cabinet Secretary, but they're outside of the party structure necessarily because they're involved in the government. Mm-hmm. The Secretary General is the focus of picking people to put into various spots. That's why when Ishiba Shigeru stepped out of that position, he suddenly evaporated as a political phenomenon. Now, and Tanigaki, he's he's very, yes, he was the president of the party for a while, but he was never seen as a threat to Abe Uh during his his time period. If his time period is over, which I think it is, who are they going to put in there? Nikai mm-hmm. Toshihiro? Maybe. Somebody who does not threaten 
Mm -hmm. or does not seem to threaten the position of the party president. And that person has to be, at the same time, unthreatening and yet competent. The other dynamic you have going on here is that there are more than 100 people who qualify for cabinet portfolios. And even if the prime minister cleared out the entire uh, slate of of cabinet ministers. He can only take care of a fifth of those people. That's right. That's right. It's a, it, they're, they're the backlog that everyone's been talking about that occurred because there was this interregnum mm -hmm. of the, the, the Democratic Party of Japan, the DPJ, being in power from 2009 to 2012, which meant that no LDP members could be served during that time. It's only gotten worse because and, Abe stuck with, stuck with the same right. people from the beginning of his term in 2012. And people want their just desserts. I have been reelected five times. It's my turn now. Or six times or seven times or eight times or 10 times. There are folks who have been waiting a long time and the LDP, well, okay, it's gotten past that period of time when it was mm -hmm. no longer dominant. Okay, it's been fighting back. Let, let's, let's be real about this. It lost everything in 2009. It was defeated. It did not have control of the House of Counselors. It was wiped out in the House of Reps. People hated the party. They were elated that they had elected the DPJ, and they've been fighting the, their mm -hmm. way back. This House of Counselors election is part of a long time process of clawing back right. to the top. They are now on the summit. They trounced the DP in the House of Counselors election. They have two-thirds majorities in the House of Reps. They have close to a two-thirds majority in the House of Counselors. If you toss in a few other folks, they do have enough people there for a two-thirds majority for changing the Constitution. Right. They are cock of the rock, king of the mountain. Mm -hmm. Time to share. Right. Time to start passing stuff around. We're no longer fighting. Mm -hmm. It's time for us to start enjoying ourselves. Okay, we've got a, a special session that starts probably August 1st or 2nd, so that there can be a cabinet reshuffle on the 3rd. So that that can be ratified and the cabinet can show its face to the, to the, uh, the diet. And then... Boom. A brief session, we've got Obon at the end of the month, and then we move into the plenary session of 90 days. Well, that, that, the extraordinary session that comes uh, is going to be extraordinary in terms of its length. We didn't have a single day of extraordinary session last year. And there was that, that huge brouhaha about that. Mm -hmm. And this year they're thinking of having one of the longest extraordinary sessions, at least 90 days, starting on around September the 12th and going all the way to December the 12th, in, of a, a significant chunk of time. It's, only, it's indicative, I, I'm afraid, of the fact that in the regular session of, of the, in the first half of this year, the last three months of that regular session were just people sitting on their hands or, or just taking the day off. Mm -hmm. we, I mean, that, there was so little legislation passed during the last month of the regular session. What? So what are they going to talk about in the new session? They're going to talk about TPP again? T TPP is going to be the big story. In Constitutional the, revision? You betcha. I don't think so. To, I mean, today on the front page of the Tokyo Shinbun, Yamaguchi Natsu, the, the head of the Komeito Party, says... If there's any kind of attempt, to, either in the extraordinary session or in the regular section, session next year, it's not going to go anywhere. Not, even, not anywhere within the next year. Abdication. Abdication probably will have to be dealt with because it's too late. The genie's out of the bottle. Mm -hmm. the, the, uh, 
the story appeared on NHK, and once it appears on NHK, it has to be dealt with. And this president, and the emperor wants it done quickly because he's getting quite old. How about uh, the potential for the prime minister calling an election? I don't think there's any hope for that. We saw weakness. We talked about this last time. We're seeing that this four-party alliance system is actually sort of working. It, it really helped win some really otherwise marginal seats where we finally didn't have a communist mm -hmm. sucking off the, the progressive votes. That had an effect in at least five single-member districts that were otherwise lost. Also, the exhaustion factor, I think, plays a, a role. Yeah, there's an exhaustion factor, but also the, the prime minister and his folks must be looking at the polls and they're saying, yes, okay, we have 40% support rates, but w that's what we had in the House of Councillors prior to it. Mm -hmm. And we didn't receive 40% of the votes in the House of Councillors race. But one of the positive aspects of that is, with the new election, you can reshuffle the cabinet once again. Yeah, but th that's true. You get a, this wonderful ability to reshuffle. But Abe has prided himself on achieving some level of stability. And let's face it, with Abenomics currently up in the air as to what it has achieved, this man, he has as his main achievement his longevity stability, and, the and the stability right. that has been characteristic of his regime. Mm -hmm. That is precious to him. I mean, yes, constitutional revision, yes, Abenomics, but let's face it, it's how long you're sitting in that seat, mm -hmm. which is the real standard by which a leader of the LDP is judged. Studying the political calendar tells us a lot about what pretends in the future. Please stay tuned.